I'm Birna, a certified sex educator tackling topics at the intersection of health, culture, and sexuality. I'll answer questions ranging from the health-related to the raunchy. I want to show that we are all more alike than we might think, and our intimate lives don't begin and end in bed. This is Beyond the Bedroom. Whether you get high or not, I think cannabis and pleasure is a great topic. I recently put in my Instagram story that we would be chatting about cannabis and pleasure, and right off the bat, I received a lot of mixed responses. I want to make a little disclaimer here. I'm not going to recommend anything that's illegal where you are. A lot of my audience, including on Instagram, is in the U.S., and there's like 30 states plus D.C. that have recreationally or medicinally legalized cannabis. And I use the term cannabis because marijuana is a really loaded term with a pretty intense history if you want to read about it. And I just like how cannabis sounds. Doesn't it sound fancy? But I also use the term weed, so <laughs> in case you were wondering. But from pain relief to orgasm, there's a lot of pros. Obviously, there's a lot of cons too, and I just implore everyone to weigh the risks when using any substance from caffeine to painkillers. Some people develop an emotional attachment or dependence, and we will definitely be chatting about that too, as we did on my Instagram. If you saw that story, I'm going to be delving a lot more into my personal opinion and use uh, of cannabis and the research behind cannabis and sex. Does it really enhance our sex lives? Does it have an impact at all? And how do we know about that? I also just want to implore people to flex those critical thinking skills. <laughs> we definitely need to make decisions for ourselves. If you're a person who's against cannabis, I still respect you. If you're the type of person who uses it frequently, even every day, I respect you. I believe in bodily autonomy and I believe that people are allowed to make decisions for themselves about what goes in their bodies. And of course, the sex educator, sex researcher side of me wants to get into more of the science behind this. So what we know and what we don't yet know about cannabis. I want to start with CBD because it's it's kind of a buzzword lately. It's been making the rounds in the media, all kinds of claims, but also in terms of the wellness industry, which is a huge industry now. And wellness is a very broad kind of blanket term. So it involves anything from yoga to spirituality practices to green juices and tinctures, but it also involves a lot of things that people find genuinely useful. So I'm not just talking about, you know, essential oil and pyramid schemes here. I'm talking about things that have research and I mean there's obviously research behind essential oils too before the doTERRA folks come after me but I meant from a commercialized point of view the more capitalistic consumeristic point of view. I know that there are even authors that have been calling it big natural but there are things that do really help people that the research is starting to back up and more research is being done. So CBD is one of those things. It stands for cannabidiol or cannabidoil, depending on your pronunciation. And it is the second most prevalent of the active ingredients in cannabis. And CBD is a component of cannabis, but it's not the one that traditionally makes you high. That's THC. For the weed aficionados that are listening to this, you're probably rolling your eyes, but you know, this is uh, stuff that's important 
important to know too. But according to a report by the World Health Organization, quote, in humans, CBD exhibits no effects indicative of any abuse or dependence potential. To date, there is no evidence of public health related problems associated with the use of pure CBD. So CBD, you know, I just want to drive this point home that it is not the psychoactive ingredient of cannabis. CBD research is also still relatively new and it's still being developed as the cannabis industry in the United States grows with commercialization and recreational legalization. The strongest scientific evidence on CBD benefits is its treatment for childhood epilepsy syndromes such as LGS, which is one that doesn't always respond to anti-seizure medications. CBD was able to reduce the number of seizures, but didn't stop them altogether in the treatment for this epilepsy. But that is a huge kind of monumental step in the treatment of this childhood epilepsy syndrome, because these were syndromes that really did not respond well to medications, or when they did, it eventually stopped working. And there is now an FDA-approved cannabis-derived medicine to help treat epilepsy, and it's safe to give to children, and it contains CBD. In a study from the European Journal of Pain, they showed that CBD, when applied on the skin, could possibly help lower pain and inflammation due to arthritis. So there's now CBD gels and other topicals that are being prescribed to people with various types of arthritis or are just being recommended by doctors. I just want to mention that just because the research isn't there sometimes for whatever reason, anecdotal people have been using it for years. Before they extracted CBD in a lab, there were people using weed for their joint pain, for their migraines, for their whatever. And anecdotally and self-reported, this worked for them. So I just want to mention that. There's also research showing that CBD may inhibit inflammatory and neuropathic pain, which are two of the most difficult types of chronic pain to treat. However, these studies are often done on animals, so more human studies really need to be done to substantiate these claims. There are also people that tout CBD as merely placebo, but this kind of delves into that discussion of whether chronic pain is legitimate or not. I'm a firm believer that even if pain is in someone's head, that it should still be treated. Pain can come from a misfiring of pain signals in the nervous system or from chronic tension or even depression. And even if this was, you know, in someone's head, quote unquote, I've never understood that how something being imagined could make it illegitimate. That if it is someone's reality, they won't snap out of it just because you tell them to. But again, having chronic reproductive pain conditions myself, I know how hard it is when someone who has never dealt with nerve or inflammatory pain says this, but I genuinely believe it's because they can't fathom the type of pain we're in. People use the argument that antidepressants, for example, often help people with chronic pain, so it must be imagined. However, SSRI medications can have anti-inflammatory properties, and some mental illnesses like depression or anxiety can cause chronic pain from overactive nerves. So even if the pain is linked to a mental illness, it doesn't make it less legitimate than pain from like an old injury. So back to CBD, there are definitely claims that just cannot be substantiated, like CBD being a known cure for all cancers or a perfect fertility treatment. We just can't prove these things, and for right now, they're not accepted as fact. 
It can definitely help people deal with the pain of cancer or its treatments, and it can help arousal and relaxation, which are great for any fertility treatment plan. Since CBD is a pretty unregulated supplement still, whether applied topically or ingested, it's also hard to know what kind of stuff you're getting and how much is really in there. I have a tincture from a company called Charlotte's Web, and it worked well for me. But, you know, there's other companies that I've used that I felt literally nothing, even when I took a higher dosage than the Charlotte's Web one. So more research needs to be done to see if it can help with reproductive illness, insomnia, chronic pain, and managing mental illness. But for right now, it's really up to the person. These things can help. Some research points to it helping, but it really is up to you. And unless you have some sort of health condition or are on a medication that might interact, it's a relatively safe treatment to try on your own. I just want to mention that you really should, you know, read the instructions and just ask a doctor. Most doctors now know the ins and outs of CBD. The one thing about CBD is that it can make medications like a delayed response so they might last longer in the body. So that's just something that you might want to ask about if that's something that concerns you. But now let's get into the good stuff. Let's talk THC, cannabis, weed, getting high. I have friends that use cannabis every single day and they function great. And I also have friends that use it every day and it isn't really benefiting them to say the least but it's their choice, it's their life, and I'm not gonna make a huge claim that cannabis is completely good or bad. It's like every other kind of substance that we can ingest. It's up to the individual to weigh the pros and cons and to be responsible. I don't like comparing alcohol and cannabis, for example, because they're totally different substances just like any other drug. Some people get anxious every single time they ingest cannabis, and that's okay, it isn't for everyone, and it's just like coffee, Some people get horrible anxiety and some people can fall asleep after a double espresso and some don't really feel much of an effect at all. We are all so different. Our chemical makeup biological processes, psychology, even factors like our blood sugar regulation can play a huge role in how we metabolize things. I know, for example, I have a thyroid issue and so I metabolize things differently. And the reason, one of the reasons that I found out I had a thyroid issue is because I was drinking a glass of wine and it felt like I had drank like three or, you know, a whole bottle almost. All of a sudden, I I wasn't like stumbling around. It was more like the spins. I felt very nauseous and I was very confused. And every time I drank after that, I started noticing that I was metabolizing it very strangely. Went to the doctor and lo and behold, I have a thyroid issue. I also have insulin resistance. So, you know, that was also one of the things that they figured out. So we're all really different. No matter if you have an underlying health condition or not, you just might have a different chemical makeup than someone else. And as I mentioned on Instagram, it's a huge pet peeve of mine when someone is like, oh, it depends on the strain or you just don't have the right stuff. Um, Yeah, that was like my stoner voice. (laughs) I think it's amazing when someone says weed makes them anxious or weed makes them fall right asleep and they've just made the choice to respect their body's response and not use it or use it only under certain circumstances. Some people, for example, like smoking weed when they're alone, but freak out around any kind of company. And so they just have made that choice. And that's totally legitimate. I can't use weed now because I'm on medications, like I mentioned for my thyroid and stuff, and it could interact with it. And I'm not willing to see what happens. I know that people that are on my medication have played around, but it's not something I really want to mess with. But it has been a great tool 
tool for me in the past, but I'm okay with living without it. I also don't drink anymore for the same reason, but let's be honest, I probably miss cannabis a little bit more, <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. Some people use cannabis, whether it's in CBD or its full version, to enhance their sex life. So how exactly does weed have an impact on us and specifically on our sexual function? So there are a few caveats here in terms of the research. First off, I'll say that the research done in the United States in particular is still relatively limited thanks to decades-long policies against the drug. In fact, it's still a Schedule One drug and it's impacted communities of color, in particular Black people, and it still is impacting those communities. I should mention that while there's tons of dispensaries opening up and commercialization happening, there are also a lot of people still sitting in prison for small-scale cannabis violations, like having a pre-rolled joint in their car. This is mostly black men, while white people are mostly dominating the new dispensary waves. Sexual functioning is also a pretty tricky research field for a variety of reasons, and there are so many aspects of sexuality that we can look at in terms of how cannabis may affect us, like attraction, arousal, relaxation, and so much more. And it's, it's hard to study all those things at once. I felt like I should mention this because both cannabis and sex are political topics, and this nuance deserves our attention. So since cannabis is still illegal on the federal level, Level. It's still a Schedule 1 drug, despite various states allowing it for recreational use. A lot of research is based on self-reported survey. And as you can probably guess, this is not the most accurate method. The terms are often pretty vague too in these surveys, so enjoyment, satisfaction, relaxation, and orgasm can all mean really different things for people. It can also be really conflicting when sensationalized headlines emerge, twisting the research to get views, which I guess is the modern term for selling more copies. Maybe someone has a really hard time orgasming because of an old injury or pelvic trauma or whatever. However, cannabis has made enormous change in their level of overall satisfaction. Since the research may only be collecting info about orgasm, maybe this falls through the cracks. Maybe the research is only collecting data between self-reported cannabis use and frequency of sex. There are so many external factors in this, like maybe when people had the time to smoke weed, they also had the time to have sex. Or maybe they did both activities at night or on vacation or weekends when other stressors aren't present. You see the theme here? Maybe they're having more sex, but not better sex too. The headline becomes, smoking weed leads to more sex and people eat it up. Ironically though, the best cannabis and sex research I've come across is a study done by Becky Lynn, MD. Her study showed that people who reported ever using cannabis prior to sex were more likely to report having satisfaction satisfying orgasm over those who did not use it at all. Those who report 
frequent cannabis use, were also significantly more likely to report having satisfying orgasms overall. Those who used weed before sex were also more likely to say that they were using it specifically to decrease pain. This was the least statistically different result of the three I mentioned, though. So what's interesting with this study in particular is she recorded how satisfying the orgasm was, which is very important, especially since this was mostly a survey of self-identified women. So that's really important. And she is an obstetrician gynecologist. So that was her audience and research demographic. But it's also really important to see some of the societal factors here, right? So those who report frequent cannabis use were more likely to report having satisfying orgasms overall. So what does that tell us? It could mean, you know, that there's a correlation between the effects of cannabis on the body and more satisfying orgasm. However, it could also just mean that those in society more likely to use cannabis because they're more likely to try new things or not be afraid of losing control, etc., are more likely to have satisfying orgasm. You know, correlation does not always equal causation, but from personal experience, have I had better orgasms when I've used cannabis? Yeah. <laughs> so I think it goes without saying that, of course, there isn't perfect method for self-reported research and there isn't perfect method when understanding the societal factors that play a role here but you know <laughs> it is it is research that stuck out to me so here's also what we know about cannabis overall so it is a vasodilator which means it opens up blood vessels and increases blood flow so you can already guess that that could have a significant impact on how aroused you get and it has effects on the cannabinoid receptors in our skin and nerve pathways, which are involved in pain perception. How specifically it affects these receptors is not completely known, but we know that it has a pretty intense effect on them. And it can also have an effect on the higher order functions like memory, fear, and anxiety. And it can reduce anxiety or heighten it since the human body makes its own version of cannabinoids called the endocannabinoid system. We have a lot of receptors for these compounds. More research needs to be done on how exactly we all differ and why by studying our endocannabinoid system. So why does it reduce anxiety in some people and really severely heighten it in others? We're not completely sure yet, but we know it has to do with these receptors. There isn't a real definitive answer on how or why cannabis influences sex. There are a ton of theories though, and since the research is often self-reported, as I've mentioned like a hundred times now, it can be easy to prove or disprove these theories when studying the social factors. Animal research, for example, has shown that the CB1 receptors can delay ejaculation. So maybe self-reporting human behaviors can be true because it was once written off to be due to impaired time perception. And some people don't enjoy delayed ejaculation because some consider it a negative side effect. And it's also interesting that some people report delayed ejaculation while others report premature ejaculation. And it makes me wonder, not to be all Carrie Bradshaw, but it does make me wonder, maybe we should be researching how people feel along with their behaviors. And I know this is already done. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. Some people might enjoy coming pretty quick if it usually takes them a long time. They might also enjoy, you know, 
their partner's relief at that. While others may enjoy lasting a little longer, so delayed ejaculation isn't an issue for them, or vice versa. Maybe it isn't always negative or positive, but depends on the desired result of the individual. Also, long-term cannabis use might have an effect on sperm production, but once again, there are conflicting studies. A study from Denmark showed that it can cause sperm count to be lower, but another longitudinal survey from 2000 to 2017 showed that those who reported ever using cannabis had higher sperm counts. However, research is pointing in the direction that it's the amount that you use. So the higher dosage of cannabis or frequent use, the lower your sperm count may go. Sorry, stoner boys that are upset about this, but the conflicting studies, you know, exist, but it does look like it's pointing in that direction. As with any psychoactive substance, I recommend taking it easy, especially if this is your first time. If you're listening to this and you realize that you never really got high when you smoked half of that joint in high school and you want to try, I just recommend taking it slow. Remember that if you have anxiety, it will pass. Nothing is forever. And I know some people who frequently use cannabis as teenagers in particular have had negative side effects like derealization, etc. And this makes sense. Our brains are still developing so much when we're teenagers. And if you're a teenager listening to this, just take it easy. <laughs> I promise there will be so much time to explore when you're older and you'll probably have more freedom, more spending money, and time to do it on your own too. So much better to do it when you have your own space. But if you are an adult and you have not tried cannabis and now you're curious, there are obvious legal risks depending on where you are. And I'm not going to be going on the record recommending cannabis to everybody because that would just be irresponsible. But if you're going to combine cannabis and sex, why not try it on your own first? As someone pointed out in my story, she said the best orgasms I've ever had were when I was high and alone. Talk about self-care, right? In California, for example, last year we were over there for the first half of that March quarantine. I loved drawing a bath, taking a low-dose edible or a cannabis bath soak because those exist and that's amazing, and then using a waterproof vibrator as it kicked in. And we were there during that first part of lockdown and curbside weed delivery was deemed as an essential business, so we did not complain about that. I answered this question on my website about nausea and cervical vaginal nerve pain, but I want to also mention that sometimes CBD can help that cervical pain that can cause nausea. Just throwing that out there, not saying that it's like a good fix though, because we really do not want to damage your cervix. But after my emergency procedure following my pregnancy loss, where I had a pretty intense procedure on my cervix, CBD and the O-Nut helped us have a sex life again when my whole body would just have an intense reaction if anything came even near my cervix, even weeks after the procedure. So thank you, CBD Lube. I like the one from Quim, uh, just want to note that it is, I don't think it's safe for condoms. And a lot of CBD lubes, I'm not sure about Foria. Foria is a really good company too for lubes and stuff. But I want to mention that a lot of CBD lubes are oil-based, so they're not safe for condoms. And you also want to test it out because some people have this issue with using oil vaginally where it will trap 
bacteria in your mucous membranes. So just keep that in mind. I like using it mostly just on my vulva. I feel like I don't need to put it up in my vagina. There are suppositories for that that are made to be vaginal safe. I believe Foria is one of those companies as well. But for so many people, cannabis can help enhance their sexual satisfaction. Or when they use it with a partner, they can develop a shared sense of vulnerability or connection between partners. And it can also help you just feel more comfort while in pain, less nausea from the pain or fatigue. So it can just get people that have responsive desire to feel more connected to themselves when those breaks aren't as strong. But again, for some, even CBD can cause anxiety, uncomfortable sensations. It can make them get in their head, withdrawn, pull away, and especially stuff with THC, you know, like get into your own little world. And if you're doing stuff together as partners, this can be a barrier, which is totally okay. You know, just talk it out, be there for one another. And I can't believe I have to say this over and over, but even just as someone who uses cannabis, it isn't cool or uncool to use it. It's just a thing people do. An open and honest conversation about weed is so important and dependency can totally happen. People can feel so comfortable in their inner worlds that they can start to lose touch with their support system also, which is something that is hard to talk about with cannabis because it's not a physical dependency the way that alcohol can become or other habit-forming drugs. But I'm not going to pretend like it can't happen that you can develop maybe an emotional attachment or dependency to cannabis. I believe in bodily autonomy and harm reduction, as I said, and critical thinking. So make choices that serve you. Be really clear to yourself on what's serving you. So for example, I used cannabis when it served me and stopped when it didn't anymore. But cannabis has also been such a great tool. And I know even in our relationship, like we were in California in the beginning of a pandemic, we had just gotten married. We were not sure if we should leave the US, if we were going to get stuck there. And we didn't drink at that time. And so, yeah, was it nice to just kind of be able to put everything aside for a little bit and laugh or be able to quiet my thoughts and watch a movie? Absolutely. And it's not as numbing as people may think it is if they've never tried it. But, you know, if something works for you, but gives someone else the opposite reaction, like it's totally okay. But for me, just a little bit is nice to take the edge off, so to speak. There's also a huge amount of people I know that have premenstrual dysphoric disorder and can use cannabis to help alleviate those mood swings and those suicidal ideations and the self-critic and saboteur that comes out as a result of having PMDD, which I know firsthand. If you are in a relationship where you are the only person who uses cannabis, I would love to hear from you for another episode. So link in my description as to how to get in touch. And if you want to see some more responses from people from my Instagram, you can head to my website. As always, all my info is linked down below in the description. And remember to rate and review if you're listening on Apple. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I'm sending you all of my love wherever you are from Iceland. And